the universe with tribes of humans who may have been the forefathers of the Egyptians or the Toltecs or the Mayans, that they may have been the architects of the great pyramids or the lost civilizations of Lemuria or Atlantis. Some believe that there may yet be brothers of man who even now fight to survive far, far away amongst the stars. Everybody, and welcome to Treks and Sci-Fi number 399. And if you couldn't tell by that intro music, which is awesome by the way, we're talking about Battlestar Galactica today. Uh, my name's Chris Clemente, and with me is... Rick Moyer from the West Coast, baby. Yeah. Rick the Mogul Moyer, as I call him. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. He's, he is... He's raking it in over there with his production studio. Ah, yes. Well, you know, I started a multimedia business here three, three and a half years ago or so. Um, after doing so much stuff here on Trex and Sci-Fi, I had so much fun with the audio. I thought, I can make a living doing this, and I am. So here we are. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's great. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. It's awesome. Mm, you're very kind. Yeah. And I, I appreciate all the support on the forum, too. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, we're talking about uh, Saga of a Star World, which was the pilot movie, mm. and it, com- it does comprise episodes one through three of the original Battlestar Galactica. Oh, that, I love this series and this show. It was, you know, in 19... What, it started off in 1978, right? Yep. And that was... I was 12 years old, and I actually watched the pilot episode on TV, and I, and I, and I waited with... We didn't have VCRs to record stuff then. So we just had to wait. And I think, I believe it was on Sunday nights. I can't remember what night it was on. Was it Friday or Sunday night? Anyway, all I know is that I waited every single week to watch it. And I was so excited. It was so cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I wasn't quite as old as you old man, but uh, <laughs> that's do- right there. Chris <laughs> whippersnapper. <laughs> I do remember, um, that I had just seen Star Wars in a drive drive-in theater, kiddies. Wow. Um, probably that summer in '78, because back then movies took a long time to get around the country. Even though Star Wars came out in '77, uh, it stayed in theaters for quite a long time. So I had seen it in a drive-in, a double feature with Grease. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, and I'll never forget it. I was in the back of of my mom's car, 
And uh, <laughs> luckily for me, Star Wars was first because let me tell you, as like a four or five year old kid, no interest in whatever the heck John Travolta was going on about. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, I saw Star Wars, loved it, loved the ships, um, loved the uh, toys, and when yeah. the, when I saw the commercials for Galactic, I remember it. I remember seeing it and thinking, hey, it looks like Star Wars. That's and, exactly what I thought, too. And when I saw the the first time I saw the Cylons, I was hooked. I was like, oh, my yeah. gosh. I mean, there was a kid in my neighborhood who had the toys, and they were cool toys. But, um, yeah. so I remember, I remember it was such a big deal when it came out. They spent so much money on that series that, that it was rumored to be like, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars for each episode. And, and you know, we I'd read like magazine articles and different things, go to the library and read stuff about it and talk about it at school with my friends. But I remember buying cereal at the store that had your make your own Viper cockpit, uh, cut out cardboard things and and thinking how cool it would be to have my own joystick because we didn't have that stuff. And it was just, oh, the helmets were cool. And just the, the whole concept, it was like having Star Wars every week. Yeah, and it's a it was a it was a very visual show. I I watched. I remember yeah. watching it. I mean, it's hard to imagine that you can remember sitting down and watching something when you're that young. But I do remember it. I remember oh, yeah. it, uh, very very well. So, uh, let's get into some of the uh, bits and pieces of this. Sure. Uh, so the uh, Battlestar Galactica, the series was created by a guy named Glenn A. Larson. He went on to do a bunch of other stuff. He sure did. I mean, if you, in fact, if you listen to the sound effects and the things in Battlestar Galactica, you're going to hear very reminiscent um, of what they used in Buck Rogers in the 25th century with Gil Gerard. Yeah. A lot I, of the same sound effects and stuff. And they're great sound effects. They are. They're classic. Yeah. Uh, and it aired on September 17th, 1978. It was directed by Richard A. Cola and Alan J. Levy. Um, Richard A. Cola was uh, fired from the project, and uh, Alan J. Levy came in to pick up where he left off, but I believe he's uncredited. Probably something to do with Union, but uh, he actually directed uh, the lion's share of it. Wow. The show starred um, Lorne Green as Commander Adama. Ah, yes, the old Bonanza Man. Yeah. What what was it? Pa. It was Pa. (laughs) Well, he wasn't Little Joe. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Richard Hatch as Captain Apollo. Oh, yeah. Dirk Benedict, uh, my favorite when I was a kid, Lieutenant yep. Starbuck. What a rebel, huh? Yeah, he's the Han Solo of the group. Yeah, the cigar-smoking womanizer. <laughs> yeah. Marin Jensen as Athena. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, hey, now. <laughs> Herbert Jefferson Jr. as Lieutenant Boomer. Mm, yeah. John Colicos as Baltar, Terry Carter as Colonel Ty, and Tony Swartz as Flight Sergeant Jolly. Jolly. <laughs> uh, in this episode, their guest stars were Lou Ayers as President Adar, Wilfred Hyde-White as Sire Anton, that slimeball. No, he's not the slimeball. No, he's not the slimeball. No, 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 no. That's Ray Milland as Sire Yuri. Sorry. That's he's, right. He's the slimeball. But you remember Will... Will um, uh, the guy that played Sire Anton was in Buck Rogers as well as pr- the professor. In the, was it the second or third? Second year. Uh, Jane Seymour, a uh, very young Jane Seymour. That's right, Dr. Quinn. Dr. Quinn, uh, Serena. Uh, could have <laughs> used. She could have used Dr. Quinn. <laughs> yeah, she could have. <laughs> Later on. And, yeah. and Rick Springfield. Uh, yeah. Uh, that was so funny to see him, too. 
And he was, you know, what a popular singer. And, and that was just cool to have him in the show. You know, you forgot one. Who did and I, I don't know yeah. her name. I have to go look. Cassiopeia. Cassiopeia. Oh, yeah. And she doesn't she show Cassiopeia? up? Cassiopeia? 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 <laughs> doesn't she know. show up as a nurse? Uh, no, no, no. She is. Um, oh, later on. Yeah, yeah. They make her a nurse. Yeah. In the well, series. But she starts off as a solicitor. Social later. Oh, that's right. That's right. They call her socialator, which we all know what that is. And if anybody could be a nurse, I guess, who would have a good knowledge of the human body, why not? Well, there you go. But she became a really great character. Yeah. So uh, why don't you uh, start us off here and let's get into the story. Okay. It's, it's a long synopsis, everybody, but it is three episodes all put together that they put out as a movie. And they actually had this in the theater. They did. Which was really cool. And in fact, I just uh, watched it all over again um, on the DVD widescreen edition. And it was actually, I bought one at a, like a $5 bin and just sat it on my shelf, still in the plastic. Opened that puppy up last night and watched it all the way through. And it just looks so good on the screen. So good. So here we go. Right on. Battlestar Galactica is set in a distant star system in an age described as the seventh millennium of time. Twelve colonies of humans living on different worlds have been fighting a 1,000-year-old war against the robotic race of the Cylons, who seek to exterminate all of humanity. The Cylons have unexpectedly um, asked for peace. Uh, through their diplomatic agency of a human, Count Boltar, President Adar, is it Adar or Adar? Adar? Adar, I think. Yeah, Adar toasts his uh, Quorum of the Twelve in celebration of the upcoming peace. Noble delegates, I realize you're all anxious to get back to your ships before our rendezvous with the Cylons, but I think it appropriate to toast the most significant event in the history of mankind. I would like to raise my chalice to you. Not merely as the Quorum of Twelve, representing the Twelve Colonies of Man, but as my friends, the greatest leaders ever assembled. As we approach the seventh millennium of time, the human race at last will find peace. Thanks to you. Aboard the Battlestar Galactica, Lieutenant Zack, Apollo's younger brother, convinces Starbuck to let him take his patrol with Apollo so he can prove that he is a worthy warrior. And uh, it's a great little scene there in the, in the quarters of the, of the, the, uh, the warriors. And uh, basically Starbuck, you know, lets Zack take his place on this patrol because they figure nothing's going to happen. It's a peace envoy. Hey, Starbuck, what are you doing? We're going on patrol. Uh, well, uh, he can't make it. Starbuck's not feeling well. Oh? Yeah, uh, well, it's, um... Well, that's, uh, kind of short notice. Um, I mean, with everybody, uh, not wanting to go on this patrol, everybody wants to celebrate the armistice. Uh, I wonder who I'm gonna be able to find. Uh... Yes, uh, Zach, you have a suggestion? Oh, come on. I mean, I've studied the coordinates from here to the Cylon capital. My ship's ready to go. Well, that's lucky, isn't it, Starbuck? Yeah, that's a real stroke of luck. Well, I guess you're just going to have to pull Starbucks patrol with me. <laughs> well, we know different, don't we? <laughs> On patrol, Zack notices two targets above the old moon of Simtar. 
Uh, Apollo flies ahead and identifies one target as an empty Cylon tanker. This gets him going, huh, I wonder what's going on. On reaching the second ship, a freighter, Apollo's scanners are jammed. Suspicious that the freighter is hiding something, Apollo continues flying through the mist and encounters a huge armada of Cylon raiders. Zack's fighter, well, of course, there's a big, you know, the we get to see the Cylons for the first time and, and, and you know, all of a sudden they're like, um, you know, colonial vipers detected, you know, and they take off running towards them or, you know, flying towards them. And, of course, Zack and Apollo go, you know, try to get back to the, to the fleet to warn them. Well, Zack's fighter is shot by one of the Cylons and it's damaged. And he tells Apollo to get to the fleet and warn them as fast as he can. Zack, look out behind you. I can't lose him, he's right on my tail Hang on, I'm coming Steady Hurry, Apollo Steady Nice shooting, but they hit my high engine That's okay, little brother, we got all of them The day those guys can outfight us without a 10 to 1 march Apollo Better look at your scanner Oh, but a thousand to one, that's not fair. What's it mean? It means there isn't going to be any peace. There may not be much of anything if we don't warn the fleet. Do it. I'm short an engine. You know I won't be able to keep up with you. Zack, I'm not going to leave you. You have to. I'm putting my foot in that turbo. I'll make it back ahead of him now. Go on. you got to warn the fleet. I'll be all right. You can fly with me anytime, little brother. Good luck. You know what Zach was thinking? No. Oh, I wish that I had Apollo ship. <laughs> you're so funny. You suckered me into that one. I had no idea you were going to do that. You're so funny. How could I buy it so quick like that? <laughs> that. Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Aware of the trouble. Adama asks for permission to launch his fighters, but Baltar's advice to the president is that it could ignite a conflict. What a slime. Mm. Ignoring orders, Adama begins a battle station drill to avoid direct violation of the president's orders, while allowing him to scramble his fighters for an initial defense, at the same time ruining Starbucks' winning game of Pyramid. Oh, that's right. A full pyramid, boys. <laughs> What's going on? There's uh, nothing to worry about. Probably some kind of aerial salute for the president while he signs the armistice. It sure ruined a good card game. Commander? Mr. President, a wall of unidentified craft is closing in on the fleet. Possibly a Cylon welcoming committee. Sir, may I suggest we launch a welcoming committee of our own? Mr. President. There remain many hostile feelings amongst our warriors. The likelihood of an unfortunate incident with all those pilots in the sky at once. Commander? Sir, did Baltar suggest that our forces sit here totally defenseless? My friend, we are on a peace mission. The first peace man has known in a thousand years. Zack's Viper is destroyed by the Cylons in sight of the fleet. Mr. President, your welcoming committee is firing at our patrol. Baltar? Patrol the fleet! Patrol the fleet! I need help! What was that? That was my son, Mr. President. 
die, Ricky. Yeah, he was short-lived on the screen there. Adama orders the Galactica's Viper squadrons to be placed on full alert with their fighters ready to launch. As the Cylons attack, the Galactica is able to launch its fighters first, while the other battle stars are caught off guard. The Atlantia, with President Adar, is destroyed, and as are apparently the other battle stars. And man, does it ever make a big, huge explosion! In the that was kind of a cool scene when the when the on the bridge of the uh, of the Galactica, where they're all shielding their eyes from this big explosion. But you know, there it was right when that happened. It gets really serious all of a sudden. Yeah. You know, before it was like you're just kind of getting introduced, but as soon as you realize all these people are dying, it's like, oh gosh. And it really got it took on a really different tone at that point. Absolutely. So the Galactica alone survives the Cylon assaults. Apollo informs Adama that the Cylons were accompanied by refueling tankers, and Adama realizes that this would allow the fighters to operate far from the base ships known as base stars, uh, which must be operating somewhere else. He orders the Galactica to withdraw from uh, and protect the planet Caprica, Adama's, uh, Adama's homeworld, but they're too late as the Cylon fleet has launched simultaneously massive assaults on all the colonies at the very same time the attack on the Battlestars has commenced. As Galactica closes in on the colonies, the jamming clears to allow them to view a news report from the surface of Caprica from Serena. As the attack begins, Serena ends her report abruptly to find her son Boxy, whose Daggett is killed. And the Daggett is basically a dog. Galactica's crew watch helplessly as the destruction of the colonies continues. On Caprica, Adama finds the ruins of his home. What what happens is is um, Adama wants to take a shuttle down to see how his wife is and what's going on, but Apollo says, "No way, Dad! You got to go in my Viper because I want to be at least have a fighting chance if we run into Cylons." So um, Apollo takes him down to the surface. Um, and that's where Adama finds the ruins of their house and goes through some pictures and stuff. Anyway, his wife is presumed dead, and Adama's grief overwhelms him temporarily. Apollo is confronted by an angry mob of colonists, and Adama informs the colonists that only the Galactica is left to guard the survivors. It's kind of a, a really intense and interesting um, scene when when the, uh, the the people from the colony come in and confront them. Yeah, I mean, you know. There was yeah. nobody around to protect them. That's a that's a pretty cool scene. It's really the only uh, scene on any. I don't. I think it's the only scene on any of the colonies. Yeah, that's why in the new series Battlestar Galactica, it was so interesting to go back and see some of the, you know, Caprica and different places. It was really a lot more fascinating because they didn't really do that on on this show. Not just once. They just head for the hills. Yeah, as it were. Well, with the colonies in ruins, Adama collects as many survivors as possible and orders every intact civilian ship to take survivors and follow the Galactica. Can I ride your ship, sir? Fighter planes are no place for little boys. They're going to have to be if our people are going to survive. We must fight back. Yes, we are going to fight back. But not here. Not now. Not in the colonies. Not even in this star system. Let the word go forth to every man, woman, and child who survived this Holocaust. Tell them to set sail at once in every assorted vehicle that will carry them. And 
the word went forth to every outpost of human existence. And they came, the Ares, the Gemins, the Virgos, the Scorpios, the Pisons, and the Sagittarians. In all, 220 ships, representing every colony, color, and creed in the star system. They hoped that the Galactica could protect this ragtag fleet <laughs> long enough to find the legendary 13th human colony. It is called Earth. Earth. Sorry. The location of the lost colony is known only to the last lord of Cobol, the planet which was the original home of man, but which was abandoned thousands of years earlier when the 13 tribes migrated to the stars. We gather here as representatives of each ship in our fleet to answer that single question, where will we go? Our recorded history tells us that we descended from a mother civilization, a race that went out into space to establish colonies. Those of us here assembled now represent the only known surviving colonies, save one, a sister world far out in the universe Remember to us only through ancient writings. It is my intention to seek out that remaining colony, that last outpost of humanity in the whole universe. Commander Adama, this 13th colony, this other world, where is it and what is it called? I wish I could tell you that I know precisely where it is, but I can't. However, I do know that it lies beyond our star system, in a galaxy very much like our own, on a planet called Earth. Now the Cylon Imperious leader, he's determined that no human at all shall survive, and he orders Baltar's execution after his usefulness is over. Welcome, Baltar. I have grave news. A handful of colonials prevail, but we will soon find them. What of our bargain? My colony was to be spared. I now alter the bargain. How can you change one side of a bargain? When there is no other side, you have missed the entire point of the war. But I, I have no ambitions against you. Could you think me so foolish as to trust a man who would see his own race destroyed? Not destroyed, subjugated, under me. There can be no survivors. So long as one human remains alive, the Alliance is threatened. Surely don't mean me. We thank you for your help, Bolter. Your time is at an end. No. No. Not now, Centurion. Remove him for public execution. And it's really interesting because the Cylons are a robotic group of, of you know, uh, beings. And they have, you know, as we go through the series, we find all sorts of different types of Cylons. But very interesting that the Imperious Leader looks like a big lizard. Yeah. Well, I guess that was the original uh, race of Cylons were reptiles. Yeah, yeah. And then they created the the robotic ones. Very interesting. But, boy, I remember the first time we saw the Imperious Leader on that screen, and I'm like, oh, that's cool, man. That's really cool. <laughs> By your command. By your command. And then, of course, you know, that voice of the Imperious Leader, for many, many years, you know, many years, I say many years, but it was really what they only had two seasons of it. But uh, really interesting in the very end, one of the characters that shows up at the very end of the series has that same voice. 
That's right. And then you're like, oh, interesting. But we'll not ruin that for everyone. We'll just let them find that out for themselves. <laughs> okay, so um, uh, Apollo finds Serena and Boxy on one of the ships. And Apollo and the Dr. Wilker surprise Boxy with Muffet 2, a mechanical dagget. That's not Muffet. He's not even a real dagger. No, but he can learn to be like a real one. He's very smart. And if you would help us, it would be even smarter. Stop that. We used the image of Boxy you gave us to train the drone to respond to it. And Apollo and Serena share an embrace. Love is in the air. I can feel it everywhere. <laughs> then the Council of the Twelve debate the fleet's destination. As much of the fleet's food supplies are contaminated by Pluton. Is it Pluton? Yes. Pluton bombs during the Cylon attack. The fleet is in desperate straits and must find a food source soon or face starvation. They feel that uh, Carillon is too far to travel because of the food shortage. Yuri suggests the planet Boralus, but Adama believes it's very dangerous. So Apollo suggests a shortcut to Carillon via the Nova of Mag Madagon. Uh, however, the Cylons had mined this passage, so the Vipers are needed to clear a path for the fleet. Starbuck and Boomer are volunteered, quote-unquote, for the mission. Is it not surely fatal to continue towards Carillon? There is another way. If I may have a few moments at the Council's time. I support Commander Adama's rejection of Boralus. Surprising. It is a death trap as lethal as the one we left behind. And we haven't the armament to fight our way in and out. However, there is another approach to Caroline. Instead of using the intended route, which takes us centons out of our way, I suggest we take the direct path here, through the Nova and Matagon, not patrolled in a savings of centons in reaching Caroline. Captain, I may not be a military expert, but I do know that the Cylons don't have to patrol that particular area because they mine it. They lay mines to make passage impossible. It would be impossible for a fleet of cumbersome ships like ours to even attempt to go through that narrow passage. I agree. The fleet could not traverse the channel unless it had been cleared first. And how would you propose doing that? Well, I suggest I find one or two volunteers to join me in flying ahead of the fleet and fighter craft to blow the minefield apart with laser torpedoes. Two volunteers. Out of the question. Out of the question. Brilliant, brilliant. If you must go straight ahead as you insist, Adama, then this is the way. I say we support the captain. Good for you, good for you, my boy. As grave a plan as it is, it appears to be our only hope. You have the support and the blessing of the Council of the Twelve. Thank you. I guess he's got mine to volunteer for that. Hey, hey, wait, wait. I'm getting out of here. Well, just the two fellas I wanted to see. Follow me, gentlemen. The Vipers launch with shielded cockpits to protect them from the brightness of the Nova. They succeed in destroying the mines by using their computer system and because they, they can't see them, and the fleet actually reaches Carillon. That's a really cool scene. It is a really cool scene. It reminded me, and I, was, I know this 
silly to make comparisons, but I'm going to anyway. It reminded me of the scene where Luke is using the lightsaber on the Millennium Falcon with the shield, the blast shield over his face. Right. And very similar to that. And I thought that it was just a really cool. It, and it was neat to watch at the time. They didn't have the greatest graphics, but it was really cool. To, it, they looked like Battlezone. Remember that that uh, game Battlezone? Right, where they they just had the the green like outline on the on a like a monochrome screen. That's what they used for all their stuff. It looked really cool at the time, They're, but that's I how they that's how they flew them. What do you call like Vectron graphics? Yeah, yeah, vector vector or Vectron, Vectar, yeah. yeah, something like that. You know, yeah. the speaking of the uh, food shortages, when they go over to that ship, <laughs> the rising star, the rising star, and they're you know, and they're finding out that there's problems with the food, and. Apollo tells the guy, he's like, listen, you have my word as a warrior. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe you're going to say this. And that woman, I was going to say the that, same thing. That, that stuck out on, at, of all the lines. I hated that one. You're <laughs> Co- colonial warrior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's like it's just a weird edit because it like it's like it's, it's not a good edit. It's it haunts me. Yeah, I, I definitely. <laughs> When I was pulling <laughs> clips for this, I definitely pulled that, whether I use it or not. I, I think, hope you do. I think I will. I want everybody to suffer because <laughs> it's that just, is the worst line and the worst edit ever in the entire thing. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> it stuck out again last night. I was like, oh, my gosh. My eyes rolled and I thought that is just what in the world. I, I understand why they put it in there, but. It was so poorly done. She's like the director's girlfriend or something. <laughs> Gotta be. <laughs> warrior! Word <laughs> is a warrior! Relief is on the way. You have my word as a warrior. Your word is a warrior! <laughs> and it's louder than all the other dialogue. And it just yeah. echoes through the screen. It's crazy. <laughs> It's so funny that you thought I was. I thought the same exact thing, and I'm like, oh, I know what he's going to say. It's just funny because he Apollo is so like, you know, uh, like earnest. Here, yeah, yeah. Well, well, it quickly becomes apparent that there is more to Carolyn than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. The fact that Carolyn has more than enough food and fuel for the fleet's needs makes Adama wary. We've come so far so quickly. There's been little time for reason. What is the curious secret behind the existence of this outpost on the outer rim of our star system? There are many such oases for intergalactic travelers, but none so far off the known arteries of trade, and none so curiously close to Italian mine. Fuel has begun to arrive from the Obion mines, but in curiously small quantities. Now I feel the growing need for extraordinary measures of precaution. Ships continue to hover over the planet, supported by small maintenance crews whose spirits are as depleted as their numbers. Everyone seems to have forgotten our flight from the Cylons. The beauty and wilds of Caradon. Hold our people spellbound. It is also apparently the largest Tylium mining facility in this part of the galaxy. Tylium fuels the fighters. It's also a popular gambler's den. Boomer and Starbuck come upon strange bright lights and startle a female tauren coming out of what is apparently a chancery. The woman's excitement over her winnings make it apparent that she is completely unaware of the colony's destruction. 
and she's a she's a little crazy. Yeah. Uh, Starbuck and Boomer enter the casino to investigate. Boomer questions the validity of the chancery and is amazed that Starbuck can think about making money in light of their plight. It don't matter what you do. Yeah. Because something's always after you. It's love, 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 love. love, love. It don't matter where you go. It don't matter what you do. That is the that I don't know, man. The, the, those chicks are creepy. They are creepy. But I remember buying the album to Battlestar Galactica, and that song was on it. It's on there. It is on there, and uh, yeah, I'd listen to it over and over and over. It was so disco for the time. It was really like Lips Incorporated. Yeah. Won't, Won't you... you take two? <laughs> <laughs> you knew exactly what I said, didn't you? Monkey uh... down. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely once you get you're, you're like oh we're in the seventies now that's right oh yeah well as soon as they walked into the casino I I heard music from Buck Buck Rogers in the twenty first century and I or twenty fifth century and I thought okay we're we're back in the seventies boom boom yeah <laughs> well Adama discovers that Baltar was responsible for performing the initial Carillon survey and reported that the Tylium was too minimal for mining, and immediately smells a Cylon trap. It's a trap! But in the meantime, Saryuri, Adama's self-serving nemesis in the new Council of Twelve, uses the opportunity the planet presents for the morale of the fugitives to make his move against Adama, whose strict but selflessly benign intentions hinder his own ambitions. Yes. The Council of the Twelve led by Yuri to believe the Cylons have been left far behind, proposes that the humans pause to celebrate their escape and dismantle their military <laughs> and weapons to prove to the Cylons that humans are no longer a threat to them. The Council arranges a banquet on Carillon to give Captain Apollo, Lieutenant Starbuck, and Lieutenant Boomer medals for leading the fleet through the Nova. All the warriors are ordered to attend. So Adama suspects that this might be a golden opportunity for the Cylons to launch an attack on their fleet and orders Colonel Ty to, this is so funny, to, to hold back some of the warriors and the fighter pilots from attending the party while he is to outfit non-combat personnel with fighter uniforms. This is a great scene, by the way. I love it. To add, to add in the ruse, Adama decides to launch routine patrols to, uh, to appease the council, but will be used in truth to await a Cylon trap. Ty is put in charge of gathering uniforms and people to fill them. And it's just, it's, it, it, it's also another scene that sticks out in the, in the uh, show as being a little bit over the edge. And that's it. Um, he he goes into the warriors thing and he steals their uniforms and he gets caught. And then and and he and then basically is said if you know he's doing a, su a surprise inspection and then looks looks at the, at the guys and says if Adama finds out about this he's gonna go crazy. <laughs> and it's like, huh? I mean, <laughs> it, really... it does make me laugh. It does make me laugh. But it was like, dude, this is really bad. <laughs> 
I uh, mean to startle you. Can we uh, give you a hand with... If you ever do that again, you're on report, Starbuck. You can tell the rest of your Playboy pilots this is not the last flash inspection that I'm going to make. If I ever find uniforms in this condition, you're in trouble. When Commander Adama sees these, he's going to go crazy. It's got to be the pressure. So, anyway, down on Carolyn, Apollo and Starbuck gradually discover that something is amiss when they see strangers walking around clad in their uniforms of their squadron. And after some investigating, they discover the truth behind the planet's prosperity. The natives of Carillon, the insectoid Ovians, have set up the gambling resort to lure humans to them to serve as living food for their hatching larvae. Oh, my gosh. In their underground chambers. Gross, gross, gross. They're also secretly in league with the Cylons and mine the Tylium uh, uh, solely for their purpose in exchange for their freedom. And they are cooperating in the Cylons' efforts to eradicate the human fugitives. How many warriors? <laughs> Nearly their full complement of warriors. See that the humans remain entertained until the end. Then they will be yours in the lower chambers. During a subsequent fight with Cylon soldiers, the laser fire from both parties sets the Tylium mines on fire, threatening to destroy the planet once the fire rages fully out of control. It's a cool... Uh, it I, is a re- really great... Good sets on that and cool effects. And it's so awesome when we find the Cylons down below and the ele- you know, when the elevator goes to the levels that they're not supposed to be. Pretty cool. There's a cool scene, or funny scene, another funny scene where... You know, uh, Yuri's giving his speech, and he's like, "Oh yeah." And then, and then Apollo comes out, and he's like, "Hey, get the he- get everybody, get the heck out of here!" And he's like, "I'm in charge here." And then the Cylons come out of the elevator, and, and he's like, "Follow him!" <laughs> yeah, follow him. He's in charge. Peace begets peace, and love begets love. And so I everybody, listen to me. I want everybody to move quickly and orderly towards the exits. That is an order. Stay where you are. I'm in charge here. Do what the man says. He's in charge. It's a great Monty Python moment. It really is kind of, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, Adama's ruse works, and the Cylons, believing that all the pilots are at the banquet, launch a fighter attack against the Galactica. But Adama is ready to spring his trap. Once the Cylon fighter contingent is fully engaged, Adama recalls all his vipers from the surface of Carillon, taking the enemy by surprise. During the fight, Apollo realizes the Cylon fighters couldn't have come so far without a base star, and he and Starbuck disengage from the battle and find a Cylon base star, hidden on the far side of Carillon. In defiance of Commander Adama's recall order, they decide to attempt to destroy it in order to enable the refugee fleet to elude pursuit, and use fake radio chatter to fool the base star into thinking it's under attack by multiple Viper squadrons. Purple and orange squadron. <laughs> Purple uh, and orange? This is Green Minute to Red. All ships in formation and ready for attack. Come in. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're all ready. Every one of us. Speak, Centurion. By your command, Colonial Viper squadrons approaching in large numbers. 
Surely our raiders are close enough to defend us. Our raiders are still engaged against the Galactica. Retreat base ship behind the protection of Carillon. Their scanners will not be able to find us. This is Yellow Leader. We have your squadron in visual contact. Uh, right. Uh, Green Leader, I've got two more squadrons requesting permission to join us. Uh, purple and orange squadrons. They're just dying for a good fight. Been on reconnaissance for centons. Purple and orange? Uh, negative, Blue Leader. Let's not get carried away. We've got all the manpower we need to knock out one base ship. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> yeah. The base star descends into Carillon's atmosphere to avoid detection and is destroyed when the planet finally erupts in a massive Tylium explosion. Despite their victory, however, the humans realize their enemies will still be pursuing them, and they set out to Earth, their last hope for survival. Fleeing from the Cylon tyranny, the last battle star, Galactica, leads a ragtag fugitive fleet on a lonely quest. A shining planet known as Earth. Now, I have to say that the first time I saw a base star, I was blown away. I thought it was really, really cool. It's a cool, I, it's a cool model. It, it's like two, two saucers, you know, like alien saucers put together. And it just is, I don't know, there's something creepy about it. And I liked, loved it. And I really liked the special effects with the lightning coming from the surface and coming up onto the, to the base star when it blew up. That was really cool. Yeah, I, I, that is cool. And even when I was watching, and it's been 34 years since then, almost, next month, 34, wow. 34 years, I'm like, ah, this is pretty impressive, man. I mean, the, those, yeah. the effects, um, even though some of them are recycled uh, yes. throughout, and certainly throughout the, the run of the series, but yeah. still, um, they're doing, in, cool. yeah, it's very, very, very well done. And. And I have to say that once in a while you can see wires. Sure. And you can see, and especially on the more high definition stuff now, you can see it a lot better. Yeah. At the time, I couldn't see it on my fuzzy television. I, I didn't see it. But uh, you can tell now every once in a while. But really, they had some really great model work, and the special effects were pretty darn cool. And to wrap it up, uh, in a little epilogue, Baltar is brought before another Imperious leader who explains he has examined Baltar's epistle and spares his life, not to serve the Cylon Empire, but to serve his people. Baltar is given the task of extending the hand of truce to the humans. Baltar explains the humans are not likely to be receptive. The imperious leader gives Baltar a command of a base star with an ill-series drone named Lucifer to mm. serve at his side to accomplish the task. My predecessor has left me with a difficult choice. Your predecessor? Was destroyed by your peers. A foolish miscalculation of the will of your people. But I, 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 I tried to warn him. I, I could have helped. I could have prevented his, his... Yes. I have examined your epistle, suggesting you would be able to locate the humans. Oh, yes. I, I think, as they do, I, 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 I know where they will go, what they must do. I find your reasoning logical. Then I am to be spared. 
To serve the Empire. No. To serve your people. To help us extend a hand of truce. Truce? My predecessor was programmed at a time when our Empire was less capable of tolerance. Now that we are omnipotent, we can afford to be more charitable. You will explain my policy of goodwill. I have spared you. I will spare them. They are not likely to be receptive. I will send with you a base star entirely under your command. Lucifer? Now, I don't, you didn't write this in the notes, but I recall very vividly that this is, they changed the ending. They did. Because I remember watching it the first time and they executed Baltar. Yeah, they cut his head off. Yep. And, and I had a comic book series that I read, I remember, and they did that in that. But because the series went on, <laughs> they brought him back and they changed the ending. Um, yeah, there's, there's different kinds. There's, there's many. There's like, what, three different versions of this, I believe. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think that they probably assumed or decided rightly that um, it's easier for people to identify with a human as a villain uh, yes. than, a, than a big kind of nebulous sort of reptile looking thing so you know when yeah. you see like in the episodes that come like especially the next one when Baltar is sitting in his throne on this base star looking yeah. very evil you're, even my four year old son was watching it with me and he goes ooh he's so bad Yeah. so you know you kind of understand he, that he's the bad guy he was a great villain though I mean it, there are so many I mean you kind of have to watch the entire series to get the full depth of it all but just even in these three episodes and the, in the the movie, you know that they made into the movie, it he was a he was the like the Judas character, yes, you know, who betrays the human race and and doesn't have any problem doing it and 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 then you you he's so shifty and so even to the point where he even questions in the movie. I remember he questions uh, or they question him about oh yeah yeah he questions the Cylons what's their mission you know to you know eradicate all the humans he goes well then do it. Right. And and yet he's a human, so it's like, oh my gosh, this guy's just bad. <laughs> he's just a jerk. And I'll tell you, that actor rocked it. And we know him from Star Trek. Yeah, he was one of the Klingons. That's right. Which is awesome. He uh, yeah, he ended up on um, on Deep Space Nine later on. Yeah, and as it, the, they gave him ridges. Yeah, and he was in a couple episodes. He was. Um, the one where he he got I believe he uh, got command of his own bird of prey. Yeah, well it was interesting because I guess by that time when he acted on that he was fairly on with years. Yeah, he was very seasoned, and so he was really concerned that he wouldn't be able to keep up with the rigors of acting as a Klingon. And they have, of course had stunt doubles and all that jazz for him, but uh, he did fine and he did a great job of it. But I remember him on the original series and he was a formable. Uh, you know, he was pretty awesome villain on that even. So it was just great to see him again. And, and especially, uh, like I say, if you watch the rest of the series of Battlestar Galactica, he had a lot of different episodes where, oh man, you wanted to choke him. You know, you wanted to smack, you know, especially, um, you know, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. I mean, he's been out for how many years now, but, <laughs> um, there, there at one point, um, he's with the, the Verillian Nomen or whatever they're called. 
And he's just, I'm, it's amazing. I mean, you're just going, oh my gosh, this guy's a great actor. Really, really good. Yeah, he's 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 definitely cool. So, uh, this is the first time I've watched this in about a decade. And so, how did it hold up for you? I loved it. I I I was kind of, I was like, am I gonna watch the? Am I gonna watch this more to like have some nostalgia for being a kid? And it probably started off that way. And actually, once I started watching, I'm like, oh, this is really really good. Yeah, I think it holds up. I think that other than some kind of anachronistic stuff from the 70s, like the disco music. Um, the effects, I think, even though they're, they're a little bit dodgy here and there, but they're pretty cool. The story is is, is a tight story, and it it, it, make, it moves along. It's, it's, a, it's, a, cool, it's a cool concept, um, which, you know, clearly it is. They, they did revive it many years later for yeah. remakes. So, I mean, the well, actual... And, and that's, that's where I think a lot of people... I think that's where... It, people thought that the original was really cheesy because after watching the new one, which of course is done with all the technology we have now, it's, there really isn't any comparison when it comes to the special effects and stuff. But I have to say, even though there was some campy episodes of Battlestar Galactica, the original, it's still, it was very epic for its time. And I think, like you said, it holds up really well. Uh, it, it's not it's not your modern day Battlestar Galactica. It's not like the soap opera one, you know. It's it was more like Bonanza in space. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, and I mean, and and of course, you know, that whole idea of you know searching after Earth and everything. It, it, it was a it was a great it was a great setup, and it was a good good series and well produced. I mean, it looked like you're watching a movie every week. You know, and I, I like Gene Roddenberry used to say that Star Trek was wagon train to the stars. I think that yeah. this this is more. Like wagon train to the stars, really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you I, got several different ships, and they're all kind of going to the same place. And you have people that defend, and you got people that are civilians. Yeah. I. Uh, it's definitely a lot of sci-fi, and especially the space operas take a lot from westerns, uh, Star Wars. Oh yeah. Westerns. You know, they all because I mean, you know, let's face it. There's only so many stories out there. Yeah. <laughs> and you just set them in, you know, redress them and set them in a different, you know scenario and there you go you know it's 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 cool but you know the music too was fabulous Stu phillips wow just rocked it i mean it was so good and again you know this was one of the at the time this was one of the only um shows that used the cinematic scoring they did not bring in like modern music into it no it was more it was more of scored like a movie every episode yeah, and it's and it's really cool. I mean, uh, there's actually there was uh, a four CD set. I posted about this on the forum. If, if oh any, yeah, yeah, yeah. If anybody has this, it's not available anymore, and I really, really, really want it. Yeah. Um, and it's on like I found on Amazon, hundred forty bucks. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. that's crazy. I don't think so, but mm-hmm. um, the music is very cool. There, I, uh, even going on in the series, there's different soundtracks for each uh, episode and it is very yeah. sym- symphonic and it's uh, it's really cool music and i don't th- and it's uh, sort of from that era which uh they don't really do it like that anymore no it's actually the funny part is here we are geeks and loving space stuff really star trek the next generation did that more than anybody else since battlestar galactica and i mean i'm sure that the other shows that have done this type of thing but they again uh, went with a more traditional 
you know, orchestration and, you know, recorded on a sound in a sound studio and the whole schmear there. While other series depended on, a, you know, a, a particular composer that didn't do it all cinematic. It was more, you know, popular music and stuff like that. But uh, it was, I just thought it was scored so well. And it, it, it gave you the feeling, like I say, of watching a movie. It made it more epic. Yeah, and that main theme is is so great. Oh, um, great, fantastic! I I'll never forget the the um, when they they what I loved about it, and me as a composer as well, I love the way that the Cylon theme plays off the Galactica theme. You know, you've got that and you know you, it's just so classic and heroic and epic, and then you've got. Ta-dum, ta-dum. You know the Cylon thing. Every time he—it's just fantastic. It's just they—they they, Stu did a, an amazing job at at creating that, and you know they just they did great takeoffs on it as as time went on with the series. It was beautiful. Tell me if I'm remembering this right. Um, right. I think that they used that theme in Airplane, the sequel, Airplane Parts. You know, I don't remember. It's been so long since I've watched the Airplane movies, but. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I think they did. You know, I think they did. I'm pretty sure that if I remember, I might remember it because I, I think that I might have, you know, as you get older, you kind of retain more. And I think yeah. that I, I, the airplane part two, the sequel, which basically is the same movie as the first one, just in space. Yeah. Um, but I think that that was one of those movies, like we talked about the last time you and me about Enemy Mine, how I used to kind of go and get the same movies over and over again. Yeah, yeah. I think that was one of the ones I used to get. I don't know. I liked it. it had Captain Kirk in it, and it was funny, and it had a spaceship. Oh, and I, I just remember, like, later on, like, <laughs> I got, like, a John Williams, um, like, Boston Pop CD. And it was one of those where, like, he kind of conducts the Boston Pops doing like sci-fi themes. And one of them was right. Star Galactica. And I remember yeah. when I was listening to that CD and I was like, Hey, that's airplane part two, the sequel. That's... <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, I see. that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I oh, might be yeah. wrong, but I'm pretty sure that, that my recollection is correct on that. I worked in, uh, in radio for many, many years and we would get those out, al- those like compilation albums where they would disco fi you know the different theme like Superman and uh, you know, but it'd be, you know, yeah, yeah, the like the Roland drum pad sounds. Yeah. And I know I did. They did Battlestar Galactica and they did Star Wars and yeah, all these you know that was a big hit. That was Miko, right? That was oh yeah, yeah, huge. It came out. And then, and then, following that was a bunch of hooked on, hooked on classics or something like that. Remember yeah. those? Well, it was like yeah. two, remember they did a, a two two thousand and one or what was it? Oh no, a fifth of Beethoven. That's right. Um, That's right. And, um, yeah. and Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. And then there was some. I think that was sort of like that first taking a classical song and turning it into like a disco song. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that from there they were like, "Hey, we can do this with lots of stuff and make some money." Yeah, it so, all went downhill really quickly. Yeah, because after all, I mean, all that stuff is probably uh, what do they call it? Public use? What's it called? Uh, yeah, public domain. Public domain, right? So yeah, hey, <laughs> no copyrights. Stuff. We can make all the money we want <laughs> without getting in trouble. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Battlestar Galactica was just, I again, I held very fond memories. I you know I w- I really need to buy the whole collection. 
on DVD because it's got they've got it uh, with that the, with the uh, box that looks like the Cylon. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, I need to get that. I I you know I taped them on VHS and watched them until they got you know they're all smeary anyway on VHS, but finally the tapes just wore out and. You know, I've got like um, I've got them off of iTunes, a couple of different episodes, and put them on my iPod and watched them and stuff. But there, some of the, some of my favorite from the series, there was a, there was tons of different ones. But I like the one where they where Apollo gets stranded on the uh, the the cowboy planet. And <laughs> that's pretty awesome. With you know, that was pretty fun. And there was just there were some really classic episodes. Or when uh, Starbuck. Uh, uh, you know, has uh, Cora, the uh, the the uh, the Viper that talks to him, and they took the lasers out of it and runs into Ambrosia making place. And it, there there are so many classic episodes of yeah. Battlestar Galactica that are just so good. And or the one that people don't like, but I loved it, was the one where um, Starbuck is on the planet where the kids are um, with the castle and the and they and they do, they do their whole entire attack at the end through poem form oh i remember that yeah like a song it was see now i like that i was pretty cool and if anybody that's me. anybody hasn't seen this or hasn't watched in a while if you have netflix um they've got them all they're all there this and galactica 80 so yeah well i don't recommend well <laughs> okay i jeff job and i did a uh treks and sci-fi on galactica 1980 and if you uh if you want more information on that, you can certainly go listen to that. It is, there is a special place in my heart for that show, but it is nothing, nothing compared to the original okay. Battlestar. We'll talk about a downtick in quality. Oh, gosh. The information is not complete. Well, hey, Rick, why don't you hit us up with some behind-the-scenes jazz? Oh, man, so many different things here. And again, Chris, I want to give you uh, kudos and props for... Uh, looking this stuff up. I didn't know a lot of this. I mean, I I love this particular series quite a bit, so I knew a lot of different things, but this was really interesting stuff. Um, you have uh, in the notes here, it says, Glenn A. Larson, the creator and executive producer of Battlestar Galactica, said he had conceived of the Battlestar Galactica premise, which he originally called Adam's Ark during the late 1960s. However, he was unable to find financial backing for his TV series for a number of years. Battlestar Galactica was finally produced in the wake of the success of the 1977 film Star Wars. In fact, the movie studio 20th Century Fox sued Universal Studios for copyright infringements, claiming that Universal Studios had copied 34 distinct ideas from Star Wars. Universal Studios promptly countersued, claiming that Star Wars itself had stolen many ideas from its motion picture Silent Running in 1972, notably the robot drones and the Buck Rogers movie serial of the 1930s. The lawsuit was eventually dismissed in 1980. Extermination. Yeah, because nobody was making money off <laughs> Battlestar Galactica anymore anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, whatever. But yeah, very, very interesting. And I really thought that was interesting about Adam's Ark. Because when you there, that particular scene that we talked about when Adama is on Caprica and the the mob comes to say where were you guys, he basically stands up at the at towards the end of that scene and says, "Let it go out to all the colonies, you know, um, and let it be known to grab whoever you can and get your ships and come with us." It was very reminiscent of Noah and the Ark, 
Absolutely. You know, uh, you know, we've been it's been destroyed. Everything's you know in ruins. Let's take let's go and start over. And that would have been really interesting if they would have have called it Adam's Ark. But I thought that was fascinating. Well, initially, uh, Glenn Larson envisioned Battlestar Galactica as a series of made-for-TV movies, a uh, three-hour pilot program plus two two-hour episodes uh, on ABC. Uh, a shortened version of the three-hour pilot Saga of a Star World was screened in Canadian theaters and in American theaters later on. Instead of two additional TV movies, ABC decided to commission a weekly TV series of one-hour episodes. Which I'm glad they did. It would have been fine the other way, but still. It was just really cool to look forward to a, a show every every week. The pilot movie was broadcast on September 17, 1978. However, about 30 minutes before the end, that broadcast was interrupted by the announcement of the signing of the Egyptian-Israeli Camp David Accord. After the interruption, which was nearly an hour in length, the episode picked back up where it left off. Now, again, people didn't have DVRs or VCRs at this time. And so it, I mean, talk about a bummer, <laughs> you know, right in the middle of this fancy show they spent millions of dollars on. And then all of a sudden, we interrupt this program to bring you, you know, right. an hour long report. I wonder how many people they retained after that, you know. Well, yeah, that President Carter, I guess he's not a sci-fi fan. I guess not. But Jeez. yeah, they spent, the reason that they picked it right back up is because, like you said, they spent so much money on it. They're like, listen. Yeah, this is it. We're showing this stuff. Yeah. This is the only chance we have to to get uh, viewers and advertising and blah 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 to re- recoup some of this. Apparently, it was not as big a surprise as we had hoped for. Uh, Ralph McQuarrie, uh, who everybody should know as the concept artist behind Star Wars, uh, he was heavily involved in designing many of the ships and sets in the show, and you can see on uh, Ralph McQuarrie's website. Uh, a lot of his uh, pre-production paintings for Battlestar Galactica, and he, I'm sure that one of the, a lot of the reason that maybe we there is some similarity uh, between the two is that Ralph McQuarrie was was so heavily involved in designing sure. ships. I mean, they certainly, when you look at the Vipers, it, you wouldn't be like a far cry to see a Viper flying next to an X-wing or the You're like, right because the Y-wings looked a little similar to them. Yeah, and 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 I wouldn't, you know, the seeing the Millennium Falcon land like in the Galactica. Bay would not be strange. They seem no. to be from the same sort of family tree. So, which is kind of cool. Now, this it was a very interesting fact, and I knew this um, because of my background as a pastor and things. Much of Glenn Larson's Mormon faith is really evident in the series. Uh, things such as the Council of Twelve, uh, which is the Mormon ruling body under the leadership of the Prophet, bonding used for marriage. A Mormon temple wedding is called the sealing. And uh, other aspects of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints faith is very apparent in each and every episode. Uh, the moral lessons of each episode is very Mormon in design. And it was, you know, I, I think at the time a lot of people didn't realize it unless they had a religious background. But um, I saw it as, of course, as as I got older, I understood it more. Right. And I was like, oh, okay. They, obviously he, you know, they, they used... Um, they used the uh, like the signs of the uh, astrology signs too in a lot of the stuff and wasn't it like the Pisces and the Scorpions and the you know all the stuff and then they mixed in Mormon theology into it so it was really interesting that it had a real spiritual aspect to it which was unlike some of the other science fiction that was out at the time absolutely well to construct the ragtag fleet 
<laughs> that follows the Galactica on its lonely quest, the model makers were given a free hand to let their imaginations run wild. And my favorite is Colonial Movers. <laughs> oh, we move anyway. That's right. <laughs> Ken Swenson constructed the livery ship that was supposed to carry all the livestock. Ooh, I bet that was a stinky one. Yeah, who gets that detail? Oh, man. Widely thought incorrectly to be made out of three film cans. He actually <laughs> he actually scratch built it from sheet plastic. Yeah, those that's, are that's they, they are really cool uh, models. And that's something that kind of I do miss. Um I love models. I think that when you still even now, when you look at a movie or a TV show that uses models, it just it looks like it's real and cg still i don't know i mean you can still well i mean the newest cg is really quite done well but you're right there's something about an actual model that was put together by people right and filmed correctly that really looks nice yeah it really looks solid and and nice and feels like you can reach out and touch it yeah it's just really cool to see uh what some of my favorite ships in battlestar galactica of course the viper well, I love the Viper. I love, love, love the Viper. Uh, the shuttlecrafts are okay. They're a little boxy in their nature. You know, no pun intended about the kid. <laughs> but uh, I loved the Viper. I, I actually ordered one and put it together and took 35-millimeter pictures of it and flew it around and made the sounds and the whole schmear because I just – what a great ship. But the other cool things that they had was um, – remember the, the aggro ships? Yeah. With the, uh, they look they look like the silent running ships, you know the big domes big with dome. the yeah those were really neat and really cool looking and um I was so excited I got to see I got to go to Seattle to the Battlestar Galactica exhibit at the Sci-Fi Museum there and see it was mostly the new stuff you know the new series but there was uh, one of the one of the aggro ships was there and it was just awesome 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 That's to cool. look at what a neat design. Don Johnson was up for the part of Starbuck. Remember Miami Vice? <laughs> you probably don't remember that. You're too young. I remember Miami Vice. Come on. All right. I grew up in the oh, 80s. I had a pink I had pink clothes. Okay, well then you know and you probably had a mullet. No, never I I never did. I had spiked I did. I had a mullet. I had a mullet. But uh Don Johnson lost out because of his southern accent. <laughs> I guess they didn't want Hey, Paulo, come on over here. I don't think they probably wanted that. Daisy Duke in space. Lots of planets have a south. Yeah. Boxy's robot Daggett, Muffy, was realized by having a trained chimp inside the Daggett costume. Three chimps were actually used during the series. And my wife didn't believe me on that one. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, you know, I did not, when I was watching it, I did not know that. And I was like... That poor son of a gun that they shoved in that thing. What is it like? Oh. A, is it like a little person or or a right. child? And then it's right. monkey. I'm like, those. That's a smart monkey. Very smart monkey because it did all sorts of really cool things. Yeah, and it was playing with the kid. And I'm like, wow, that's yeah. that's cool. I never knew because I mean, I did think it's got supposedly a dog. It's got really big forepaws. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. And remember the mushies? They was it mushies? They were like marshmallow things that yeah. they that they uh Daggett was trained to find That's and all right. that stuff. That's funny. That was from the ship on fire episode. That was when the Galactica was burning up. It, they had to do a <laughs> I think was it um Inferno or something had come out and so they did a takeoff on that on the Galactica. A couple more uh, just a couple more 
things here. The, the, the Cylons, they had to be over six feet in height, so Glenn Larson hired a bunch of out-of-work basketball players. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. And um, just was uh, doing a lot. Before we started, I was looking up some more stuff, and I found out that Terry Carter, who uh, is uh, Ty, he was initially cast as Boomer, but he broke his ankle while skating at, the, at Venice Beach with his daughter. And he oh, couldn't, no. yeah, he couldn't play the more physical part of Boomer, so he was cast as Colonel Ty. So all through uh, the pilot, Colonel Ty has his left leg in a cast. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I'll be. That's news to me. Well, you know, they had him in Galactic in 1982. Yes. And they just sprayed some gray on his <laughs> uh, on his on his fro. It's yeah. <laughs> pretty funny. And you know the the original Galactica was uh, it went missing. Uh, what? Yeah, they say uh, the original shooting model, which was restored for a display uh, at Universal Studios uh, several years after Galactic 80 was wrapped, it went missing when the display was removed, and the model, uh, which is stolen property, has yet to be recovered. No. Are you kidding? That's what this says. Now, if it's wrong... Because I saw a one that they... I don't know if they claimed it was the actual filming one, but they had a... must have been a replica of it, because they had that at the Sci-Fi Museum, too, and it was stunning i took lots of pictures of it it was so cool i saw a cool one at a convention that was to me i thought looked like the shooting model it was super super cool and big and yeah all the details were yeah, in it yeah and... i mean it looked just like it so i mean it could be that there was perhaps a, maybe there was a few the, made. maybe a few of them maybe uh different scales um it could have been could have been what, this one was pretty big but so that's what that says if that's true that's uh that's that stinks i wonder who has it Oh, I know. Maybe, That'd be interesting. Maybe it'll show up on that Hollywood Treasure show on uh, Sci-Fi. I know that's such an awesome show. Do you like that show? Oh my god, that's a, I love that show. I, I just I sit there and like think, oh, if I just had the money, I'd have my whole house full of this stuff. I know. My, <laughs> it's like, and then I'm like, oh, well, that can't be too much. And then you see somebody buy oh, you know, something for thirty, ninety-six thousand dollars. I'm like, okay, well, that's uh, that's not going to be at my. Why can't I be a rich geek? I huh. know. That's what I think too. Jeez, I would. I mean, I, I, I'd be good. I wouldn't spend too much. Okay, well, if I if I become the mogul like you say, I will. I'll buy you stuff like that. How's that yeah. sound? All right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, <laughs> All my buddies at Trex and Sci-Fi will get cool stuff like that. Yeah, like the uh, uh, movie Enterprise when they had that big sale. I think somebody bought <sighs> what four hundred thousand. Christie's auction. Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. Awesome. Four hundred thousand. I mean. It's a great yeah, model. It's my favorite. Have your... It's my favorite spaceship of all time. The refit Enterprise is my favorite spaceship of all time. It is cool. And it's a great big, huge. I think it's like six, seven feet. But man, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> four hundred thousand dollars. Even if I was uh, super rich, come into the house and it'd be great to look at. But then I go, boy, I mean, four hundred thousand dollars, great to look at. I don't know. Does it appreciate? That's the thing, you know. Probably, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it depends if Star Trek is still popular forty years from now. That's exactly right. But uh, yeah, Battlestar Galactica is a great series, and if you have not watched it, you need to crack it open and watch it, or watch it on Netflix or whatever you need to do. But the the particularly the first three episodes were just what a great introduction to the series, yeah. and what a what an amazing thing that. Uh, so many different things from it that I can remember very, very well. And, and you know, just like riding a bike, when I watched it over again, all these different things came back to me, and I just loved it. It was just a great experience. And I'm so glad that you had this idea, Chris, because uh, it's really definitely something worthy of our 
our time yeah. to watch it. If you're a sci-fi fan, I was I was I was glad to uh, to rewatch. It's been so long, and and now I want to sit down and watch the rest of it. I'll even go. I'll even sit through Galactica eighty. Well, as much as there I, you go, as much as I can stand. We'll see how it goes. Space Scouts. <laughs> so it's bikes. Hey, hey. hey Wolfman Jack here. <laughs> That was a great what episode. a horrible time for them to get to Earth. Oh, you know, I know. You know. Everybody's hair was awful. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. What are you gonna do? Well, and disco. Oh well, I, I mean, you know, at least in the new show they get there, and there's nobody. There's just a few humans around. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. <laughs> I mean, That's and awful. you know, and I think that if you love the new show, I think that there's room for this. I mean, the new it's, show. it's not the same. It's not the same in its premise, and it's really not the same in its approach at all. It, it definitely takes things from the original and and goes with it, but it's definitely it's just a way more complex and different story, and a little bit cryptic, right? In the new one, um, but the old one is just straightforward sci-fi and more of an adventure show. Yeah, there wasn't any of that Cylons have a plan stuff. It was like the Cylons' yeah. plan is just to... Annihilate humans. Yeah. <laughs> you know, extermination. Kill all humans. Leave no survivors. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, there wasn't really much of a, uh, you know, one of these plans. It was just like, hey, let's go find these people and uh, wipe them out. Wipe them out completely, out of existence. We don't yeah. want them anymore at all in and, this galaxy. And uh, sometimes it's fun to... Just clean out your brain with some nice, simple storytelling. Yeah, and I think that's they really accomplished that well in the original Battlestar Galactica. It's good stuff. Well, I think we I think we did a pretty good job of covering those first three episodes. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm glad to have done it again. Another <laughs> Treks in Sci-Fi had a had a great time. I uh, was looking forward to doing it with you. It's been a been a little bit of a we did it in July, I think. Time. we had a good time yeah. oh yeah i always enjoy talking with you about sci-fi you know what pe- what most people probably don't know is that we talk almost every day on instant or on uh on uh, iMessage yeah. and we're always talking about something fun and cool and uh we enjoy each other's uh likes and dislikes and then it's a lot of fun and you're a great friend chris i really appreciate that and it was really fun to cover this because not very many people share my excitement over this this particular series and it's great to to find someone else who enjoys it as much as i do so thank you thank you and uh hey people don't forget to join the facebook group or come to the forum yeah tricks and sci-fi.com yes and uh rico will be back next week so next week is the big celebration of 400 that's right congratulations rico 400 awesome episodes, baby, by your command. <laughs> All righty. Well, that's it for me and Rick. And uh, be, be here next week for the big show. Yo, no. So, so Chris, you've been listening to the cool song that I make called The Ragtag Fugitive Fleet. So we should play that for everybody. Absolutely. It's great. And uh, it's a cool way to end uh and this week's podcast so enjoy it folks and thanks everybody it was fun and we'll see you in a few centons <laughs> yeah that's right feldo carb <laughs> yeah let's cut through the felger carb and get to rico fleeing from the cylon tyranny the last battle star galactica leads a ragtag fugitive fleet on a lonely quest a shining planet known as earth 
mind will come out. There are those who believe that life here began out there, far across the universe, with tribes of humans who may have been the forefathers of the Egyptians, or the Toltecs, or the Mayans. Some believe that there may yet be brothers of man who even now fight to survive somewhere beyond the heavens. When I was just a boy, I heard that ABC was serving up some drama in space that I could see. It was about a battle star, but not your normal stanza, starring Lauren Green, cut right from Bonanza. Missions like machines were killing all the colonists with budgets never seen. I'd watch every week as the ships would turbo up and laugh at Boxy's Muppet, the barking robot pup. Ragtag, fugitive fleet, it's the ragtag. Fugitive fleet, it's the ragtag. Fugitive fleet, it's the ragtag. Fugitive fleet. Those messy little Cylons spouting by your command were killing all the humans and taking all their land. All the battle stars without a second thought. Only the Galactica would be the one they fought. Force the humans out, to space they had to run. Putting all their ships together, man, that wasn't fun. The characters all made me smile at wit and hero folly. Like Starbuck and Apollo, Colonel Ty and good old Jolly. Ragtag, fugitive fleet, with the ragtag. Fugitive fleet, with the ragtag. Fugitive fleet, yeah, the ragtag. They were always there, the Chiba and Boomer, Cassiopeia so fair. The villains were so cool with names like Lucifer, Boltar and his minions and Centurions for sure. It's the ragtag, fugitive fleet, it's the ragtag, fugitive fleet, it's the ragtag, fugitive fleet, it's the ragtag, fugitive fleet. I felt bad for Apollo when Serena had to die, but later on the Pegasus, Sheba caught his eye. Kindly made me nervous with his mental power strong. But what about those chicks with those mouths that sang that song? Ragtag. Faking all the leaders. The coolest part about the show that came from near and far were the Raiders and the Vipers, the station's battle stars. The Viper was the coolest, with talking ones to boot. Cora loved on Starbuck as he wore his darkened suit. The Ragtag. Fugitive Fleet. It's the Ragtag. Fugitive Fleet. It's the Ragtag. Fugitive Fleet. It's the Ragtag. Starbucks dad is free. They're blowing up a base star, the one I liked a lot. So wobbled on their wings just so they would not get shot. Really, all the episodes were right into the vibe. Watching every week for the 13th tribe. Pyramids and castles too, fighting in the mirth. All the while searching for their new home they call the Earth. The Ragtag. Galactica 1980. It didn't last so long. Troy and Dylan disappeared. After all, it was funny to see a Dama in a beard. Then there is the new one, a sci-fi that's for sure. The Starbuck is a woman and it's full of ripping fear. Silence had a makeover. The CGI just rocks. Some of them look human. We learned learn that in their talks. The Ragtag. Fugitive Fleet. It's the Ragtag. Fugitive Fleet. It's the Ragtag. 
really caught my eye. So ragtag, fugitive fleet, ragtag. Come on.